Okay, let's get started. I love this uh, connection time. Um, so I'll just fill you in on a few things happening at our house with Aaron and I. Uh, we live with a bunch of gym rats. Anybody know what a gym rat is? <laughs> We've got lots of gym rats at our house. We got Caleb, we got Dan, Ben over here. Ben is, is one of our gym rats, our girls. Um, are at the climbing gym all the time. So in our kitchen, we'll all end up huddled at the end of the night and everybody's showing each other how to lift properly <laughs> and uh, how many reps are you doing and what kind of protein drinks are you drinking? And I'm just like, man, I need to up my game. Rachel, did you know Rachel can climb a gym rope to the top? I mean, that's strong. I think that's so cool. And so we've got all sorts of gym talk, climbing gyms and dumbbell gyms, all the sorts of gyms. And so this idea, um, oh, this is funny. There's a running joke in our house that all these young men are just eating as much as they can. And it's, it dances, it's bulking season. <laughs> it's bulking season at our house. And one day he's like, I don't see you drink very much orange juice. And I said, well, I'm trying to, you know, drink, a, have a little less sugar in my diet. And it might be bulking season for you, but it's a different season for me, <laughs> right? So we're all in different seasons. But this idea of reps, like how many reps you do, did you do heavy, big reps or with big weights or lower weights or just all the reps. So the one thing I know is that a rep is a repetition, right? So that was just an introduction while everybody got settled <laughs> to say this is part two, repetition from last week. Last week was a setup for this week. And we're talking about working and worshiping from a place of rest. So it's like we're going to be doing um, some spiritual reps today, talking about how work and worship flow together, how they empower, you know, like the, the strengths language there. It's about power and strength. And just like when we do reps in the natural, we do reps in the spiritual to increase our strength, to bulk, and to create muscle memory in our spiritual disciplines and the way we think. Um, my prayer is that work, working and worshiping from a place of rest will be a strength in our community that we have. That people say, oh, those folks at the fellowship, they're, they are so rested. Like, where'd they get that trust in Jesus? How, can, how come they're so relaxed? How come they're not afraid? How come they're just in such a place of rest and grace for themselves and with other, even when they're weak, they're strong. Even when they're relaxed, they're steadfast and determined. They're not striving. How do they do that? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to do some reps. Last week, I spoke a little bit about paradox. So if you want to talk about paradox and think about paradox in scripture, listen to last week. But I want to start with one that I didn't mention last week, and it's this idea of laboring unto rest. So I grew up, I memorized a lot of scripture in the King James Version, right? And so that was the way it said it in King James. you got to labor unto rest. Um, Hebrews 4, 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. 
So I looked it up in a bunch of translations. The New Living Version says, so let us do our best to enter that rest. Uh, this Jubilee translation, which I've never heard of, but there were multiple ones that said, let us therefore make haste to enter into that rest. And then the NIV says, make every effort to enter into that rest. That's a, this is a paradox. Like, I don't get this. Like you're working to rest. You're expressing effort to rest. You're making haste. That sounds anxious and hurried. I like slow. You know, I've been, I've been training myself my whole life because I am a go-getter. I want to get it done, get it done fast. I want to have fun. I want to be out there doing stuff. My whole life has been an exercise in slowing down, relaxing, not making decisions too quickly. <laughs> and here it is, this paradox in scripture. So clearly the Bible is telling us something here. It's not easy to embrace, to receive, to position ourselves for rest, is it? It's just, it's not intuitive to us. Well, there are a few of us in the world that are like that. They're just mellow anyway. I wish, how do you do that? But anyways, most of us have to labor. We have to position ourselves. We have to change something to receive the rest that God has for us. So today, I want you to think about this as a challenge in two ways. One is in the natural realm, just your day-to-day -day work, what you're doing at work, what you're doing with friends. But the other is in the spiritual realm, like how you um, walk spiritually when it comes to the gift of receiving grace and the life that Jesus gave us that we just celebrated in communion. Also, we should know that there are spiritual forces at work that want to keep us from entering this rest. There are things that oppose us from coming into a place of rest. They keep us striving and anxious and performing like those slaves that were under the hand of Pharaoh ages and ages ago, instead of coming like sons and daughters that we are. So we're going to go back to the famous Exodus story. It's one of the most important stories for us as God's people. We have this beautiful Bible story in Exodus that illustrates it. And it's a story of when God delivers the Israelites from the relentless production and bondage of Pharaoh and Egypt. Now remember, Pharaoh wasn't just a person, but he actually represented the gods of Egypt. In the natural, he kept the Israelites as slaves, but spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, they were also bound. So what did Pharaoh look like? So I've highlighted some points from Exodus 5, and I saw it written out this way in a book I'm reading, Sabbath Has Resistance by Brueggemann, but um, it was interesting to see it in bullet points. I could really hear Pharaoh's voice a little more distinctly than if I just read the whole passage. So I've just taken some phrases out here. I, while I read these phrases, I want you to hear Pharaoh's voice and see if you ever hear this voice in your work or in your spiritual walk. So here's the first one Pharaoh says to Moses or um, in this Exodus story, he says, why are you taking the people away from the labor? Get back to your work. Get back to work. Get back to work. 
Then Pharaoh says, you can no longer supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. In other words, you don't get any help or support or provision from me. Verse 8, they are lazy. That's why they are crying out. It's their fault. It's your fault that you can do this, not mine. It's your fault. Verse 9, make the work harder so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Stay busy. You don't need time to discern what's really the right way to walk here. Stay busy. You might hear something. You might hear some lies. The slave drivers keep pressing. Complete your daily work. Pressing, pressure, demand, relentless pressure. The slave drivers beat the Israelite overseas, overseers, demanding, why haven't you met your quota? You're never enough. You're not doing enough. You need to do more. You haven't reached what you can do. Again, Pharaoh says it again. Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. You're just not trying hard enough. And in verse 18, now get to work. Get over it. Move on. Keep going. Just get back to it. What is the result? What happens when you're under Pharaoh's way? Exodus 5, 20, 21 says the Israelite overseers find Moses and Aaron and they say, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The Israelites were like, in the words of Raylan, how very dare you, Moses? <laughs> how very dare you? You're messing up the system. <laughs> How very dare you insert yourself into this and try and break us out of this system. Moses is trying to come and God shows up in a burning bush, sends Moses to the Israelites. He's like, I want to come in and shed light on this system. I'm changing this. And yet, nobody wants him to rock the boat. <laughs> And here's what's a bummer. Pharaoh's way causes division and accusation amongst God's people and makes every attempt to keep us in bondage. God's people actually turn on each other in that system. They turn on each other. But that's survival, right? It's what we do when we're in survival mode. It's, that's what happens. We have to look out for ourselves. We have to figure this out. And so we protect ourselves and we don't have time to think about our neighbors in this Egyptian system. But there's this Psalm, Psalm 20, about the Exodus. And what does it say? It says, some may trust in chariots and some may trust in horses, but we will trust in the... Yeah, we're gonna trust in the name of the Lord our God. We're going to trust in this God who wants to get us out of the system. So let's look at God 
and who God is in relationship to work, production, and provision. We keep reading this. Last week, we spent some time on this. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Psalm 81, 10, for it was I, the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it with good things. I love that. Like, ah, fill me up. <laughs> Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stir away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they Psalm 65, 9. It's not even just about us. He loves the land. God cares for the land and waters it. He enriches it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. God enriches even the land that we walk on. I love this from Acts 14, 17. God provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So it's not just about survival. It's like next level. Our hearts get to feel joy. It's our emotions. It's our emotional being. Our souls get joy. 1 Timothy 6.17, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's enjoyment. He doesn't just, God doesn't just want us to survive, us to survive, but God wants us to thrive and enjoy. Then Psalm 111, 9. We sang about this today. God provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. It's not just about our physical needs. It's not just resting about from physical weight of provision and life. It's also about Resting from our sin, resting from the guilt, resting from shame, resting from all of those things, allowing God to redeem us. Could our God and his ways be any more the opposite from Pharaoh? Just completely the opposite. And yet, <laughs> it's hard. We have to labor to get into this place of rest. We have to make every effort. We have to do our best to think about entering into this rest. The book of Hebrews speaks to this issue. So God gets the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was hard getting the Egypt out of the Israelites, right? That happens to us sometimes. <laughs> um, this reminds me of why we celebrate Juneteenth. The Emancipation Proclamation set the slaves free, 1865 or 1864, but it was a year and a half later until the slaves in Texas were actually told they were free. So there was this government in the land that said, you're free, but they didn't get to, they didn't hear it. They didn't receive that freedom. And that's why we celebrated Juneteenth this year. Listen to this story from World War II. World War II ended in 1945. There was a lieutenant from the Japanese. Um, he was an intelligence officer for the Japanese. And he was hiding, and he was in the Philippines, Lieutenant Hiro Unada. He spent over 29 years 
in the Philippine Islands with initially with some companions and he refused to believe that the war had ended demonstrating unwavering loyalty to their country and their emperor they had taken every purport of capitulation of the end of the war to be allied propaganda and this is the sad part for almost 30 years over the course of 30 years he actually they they estimate he killed 30 Filip filipinos still thinking he was at war with the Philippines and they were trying to sabotage his efforts. He didn't come out of hiding until 1974 when a former commanding officer convinced him the war is over. You don't have to live this way anymore. The war is over. It's July 4th weekend, right? This is the weekend we celebrate and we recognize the cost and effort it takes to maintain freedom and peace. This is a true principle for the spiritual realm as well. It requires that kind of attentiveness, that kind of attention, that there's a battle for us to enter into rest, both in our work and our worship. But I'm here to tell you, you can enter into rest. Don't listen to any other prop. Don't listen to any other thing that says you can't come into rest. You can come into rest. We can get out of Egypt, but what does it take to get Egypt out of us? Let's read from Hebrews 4. And in this passage, they're talking about the Israelites. After they've been freed from, from Egypt, they spent years wandering in the desert. And yet they sometimes didn't receive or understand that they could be at rest. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. There's something about trust, about believing that we can receive that bread and that cup, that we can receive that salvation, and we can be at peace. We can be at rest. Verse 9, there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. For if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. If we want to be strong, if we want to bulk, <laughs> if we want to have that strength, if we want to have muscle memory, we've got to remind ourselves to believe that we can rest, we can enter into rest. There's an invitation today both physically and spiritually, to enter into rest. So Exodus 33, I want to read the Old Testament Hebrew word for rest is nuah. Oh, that funny thing in parentheses there, that's my way of trying to remind myself how to say it. <laughs> it's not actually real. <laughs> the Hebrew word is the first one. <laughs> 
But the word is to rest, to settle down and remain, to be quiet, to leave, to let lie, to cease. Let me read that again. To rest is to settle down and remain, to be quiet, to leave something, to let it lie, to cease. Then in Matthew eleven twenty eight, the passage we keep reading about Jesus inviting us. In this passage, he's speaking specifically to people trying to unravel from religious yoke, from religious pressures and to-do lists and laws and things they need to accomplish. So this is Greek. And the word is to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect strength. I have learned that all these weightlifting strength training people do take rest. You have to rest in order for your muscles to rebuild, to give rest, to refresh, to take rest, to keep quiet of calm and patient expectation. I loved the combination of waiting with patient expectation. Patient expectation. For me, the opposite of rest is to work hard, to labor, to move, to be busy, to be upset or agitated, to pick up things, to work things, to, to you know, to force them and hope I, I don't break them. <laughs> to do things in my own strength. It looks like sleepless nights, a racing mind, perhaps the pressure of a bill or that pit in your stomach you get when something is out of your control and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's the opposite of patient and hopeful expectation. <laughs> I'm not the only one who gets that right. We all are familiar with that feeling. What does the opposite of rest look like for you? So after the Israelites get out of Egypt, God gives them 10 commandments. And I want to look at those 10 commandments and I've shortened all of them except the one on Sabbath, just so you know, just for the sake of time. <laughs> so the first three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That's the first three. The middle one, number four here, is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Our God, on it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Alien means foreigner. It's not stranger things. <laughs> it's foreigners. Even our foreigners are everyone's supposed to rest. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's the longest and most descriptive of all of them is the one about Sabbath. The most, it gets the most airtime in the Ten Commandments. The next five are about how we relate to one another. Honor your father and your mother, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false witness, and don't covet. Let's talk about these for a minute. 
the first commandment, you shall not have any other gods before me, distinguishes God from all the gods the Israelites had known before. The God of Israel is not supposed to be confused with Pharaoh or the gods of Egypt who make people commodities, who produce commodities and then are consumed. Don't bow to those gods. I'm altogether different. The second and third commandment, don't make an idol and don't use my name in vain, asks us not to turn God into a commodity or something that we can use, something material. It's like God is saying, don't objectify me or my name. I'm not to be used. I'm about relationship and covenant, not commodity. And guess what God says? I'm going to treat you the same way. That's where the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath comes in. God, it's like God saying, you're not just, you're not a producer in that objectified way. You were made for relationship to work together, to partner together, to do things together, to be creative, to build, to dream. Yes, to work, but with that yoke that Jesus invited us to, right? But you're not just a commodity that God wants to use. You're a person that God wants to have relationship with. I love it. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath, is for us to find a place of rest and to work from that place, both in our relationship with God and the way we relate to others. About the remaining five commandments, which are about how we relate to one another. When I'm under the system of Egypt, remember, <laughs> we turn on each other because it's about survival and it's about... Um, when, we, when we're about survival, it's hard for us to look at one another and care for one another. My neighbor is my competition. If I'm focused on my quota and my performance and my approval with the overseers, I'm not going to stop for my neighbor. I got a quota to fill. I got things to get done. I got to look good, right? I certainly won't have capacity to love them generously. So I love that God inserts the Sabbath commandment right in the middle, teaching us to rest, making time and space in our response to loving God and loving others. I'm, I've just seen this for the first time. It's almost like the grace of the, it's always this way in the Bible, the New Testament and Old Testament, they work together. They reflect the nature and principles of God just in different ways. This command to Sabbath, it's like God's saying, in this new way of living and working together, I want you to have space and time to love and care for your neighbors. We can work and worship and love from a place of rest. Sabbath and resting from our work, it isn't deprivation, it's provision. It's provision to pause and rest 
his provision so that we can love one another, so that we can remember who we are before God and who God is with us. Tithing works the same way. Sabbath and tithing, the enemy, you know, that enemy, he comes in and makes it about rules and regulations and a law and a burden. It's, that's a lie. They're provision. When we give our first fruits, when we lay our money down, when we cease to work a, por- a portion of it, when we let it rest in God's hands, we are living financially from a place of rest, trusting that God is at work. God is our provider. We always say, when we talk about giving and offerings, we always say it's a declaration of our trust in God and God's provision for us. It's a similar act of resting from our own production Reminding ourselves again that we're in a relationship with God and not some sort of commodity exchange or transaction. It's an act of giving. It isn't deprivation. It's provision and a reminder that, ah, I can rest. God's got this. God's my provider. God's going to work this. And it's not mine. So I can give it away to my neighbor. I can give it away to someone else because I'm just, God's got this. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, one more time. I want to read that one more time. There is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. Uh, Kathy, could you come on up? We're just going to have a time of just asking some questions. I know I do this at the end every time I speak, just because I want us to take a minute to let God ask us questions (laughs) and for us to ask the Holy Spirit to show us Places um, where we're anxious, places where we're holding on, places where we're controlling, places where we allow the voice of Pharaoh to override or to have preeminence instead of the voice of God. I always love when we sing songs like be magnified or um, be lifted higher. Someone's was like, Lord, I want your voice. I want your ways. I want the, your, who you are to be lifted higher than all these other voices that say, I got to work harder, do more. I'm not enough. All that stuff that is what we hear. I want to enter into rest so your voice be lifted high. So Holy Spirit, we're just going to pause here. We're not worried about what you're going to say because you're so good. Not worried about what you think of us because we know you love us. We're just going to sit here and be at peace for a minute. 
and show us where we're anxious, Lord, where we need to rest and give and lay down and cease. So, Lord, we just come to you and we surrender to you. We lay things down that need to be laid down. We give you a time. We give you a day of rest so that we can learn to rest in you. We give our finances so we can learn to rest in your provision. We give our emotions and our hearts to you. We trust you that you're going to provide what we need physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, wisdom, jobs health, whatever it is, God, we just, we lay it down and we trust you that you're in relationship with us. You're involved with us. You care about us. We're not going to put our trust or our hope in chariots or quotas or the gods of Egypt. We put our trust in you today.
We let go of striving and control in our own ways. And we just, we just trust you. We just surrender to you today. And we thank you that your power is at work in us. Your life is at work in us and that you redeem. In the name of Jesus, amen.